This is week two of our road trip series. We looked last week at the benefits of the road. On the road, we discover new things about ourselves and about God. On the road, we forge new relationships. We gain new insights. But we romanticize the road at our peril because the road can be a dangerous place. Uh, depending on, on the weather, the condition of our car, the condition of the road. I, I like to do things to minimize the danger of the road. Um, that's why I do regular maintenance on my car. I'm a member of AAA. I obsessively look at the weather before I head off on a road trip. And I carry with me jumper cables and an emergency road kit that includes flares and um, a shovel because I want to minimize the dangers of the road. But the truth is the greatest dangers on the road come from fellow human beings. The Green Book was an annual guidebook for black travelers that was published um, by New York City mailman Victor Hugo Green from 1936 to 1967. And over the years, this became the Bible for black travel. Um, Green wrote this, this guide to identify services and places that were um, relatively welcome to black Americans so that they could find places to stay, places to eat, places to get gas along the way. Um, the Green Book helped black travelers and their families um, stay safe as they traveled, to stay alive as they traveled. Because the road can be a, a dangerous place. The road that is described in, in, in today's passage, in this story that Jesus tells, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it, it, it's, it's a dangerous road at a time when when all travel had some risks. Um, this road had a particularly bad reputation. Um, in about 18 miles, the road drops almost 4,000 feet. And, and it's, it's very windy. And, 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 and so there were lots of places for bandits to hide. So no surprise in this story told by Jesus, um, something, on this road trip goes just horribly wrong. A man is, is beaten by a band of robbers and, and the text says he's, he's half dead and left in a ditch. But thank goodness, someone comes along to help him. Now the first two people, hmm, they just walk right on by, but, but someone comes along to help him that, thank goodness, oh, there's a good Samaritan. I was at the gym when my cell phone rang. It was my colleague and friend, Emma, who lives in Michigan and she never calls me. So I knew something was up. So I, I picked up her parents, her, her elderly parents had been driving from Michigan to North Carolina when they were in a bad car accident right outside of Columbus. They were okay, but their car had been totaled. Emma asked me, could I, recommend a place for them to stay that night. 
well, as Emma and I talked, I, I, I was already on my way um, to my car. Um, I picked up her parents. I took them, took, took them back to my house. I, I fed them, I offered them a place to stay. They said no thanks, but then I was able to find them a hotel room nearby, take them to their hotel. And then, oh, for about the next 24 hours or so, I checked, checked in on them regularly to make sure they were doing okay until they were able to get a rental car and head back home. So let's be honest, um, this story makes me look really, really good. I mean, I'm, I'm such a good Samaritan, right? I mean, I'm like, like the epitome of a good Samaritan. Wrong, 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 wrong. It was a good thing I did, but doesn't qualify me as a good Samaritan for, for several reasons. I mean, there was no danger, no risk to me in, in this activity. I was helping out the elderly parents of a Presbyterian minister. It doesn't get any lower risk than that. And I literally, literally had nothing to do that evening, nothing planned. I didn't give anything up in order to help them. Um, put more succinctly, helping them uh, involved no sacrifice for me other than cutting my workout short by a few minutes. And helping them, it felt good. And, and, and get this, they, they thanked me by sending me one of those incredible gift baskets. You know, the ones that have cheese and crackers and, and fruit and chocolate. It was awesome. And most important, I was the most likely person to come to their aid. I was literally the only person that they had any connection with in Columbus. Um, and that's just not the territory of this passage. There are no gift bag baskets in this story. This passage is all about the gasp. Now let me explain. It, it's so hard for us um, uh, to hear the words Good Samaritan in the way that, that Jesus' original audience heard it. I mean, I, I was born at Good Samaritan Hospital. Uh, we associate those two words with helpfulness and compassion and good medical care, and somehow we need to shed all of those associations in order to experience the power of this story. Because the first hearers of this story, oh, they would have gasped when they learned that the Samaritan was the one who came to the aid of the man in the ditch. Samaritans were not considered to be neighbors to the Jews by any de definition of the word. Bitter tensions existed between these two communities. A Samaritan was the last person expected to come to the aid of a Jew on the road to Jerusalem. Samaritans and, and Jews were enemies, pure and simple, enemies. So let's think about this for a minute. Think about the person who has hurt you the most, um, someone who has betrayed you, stabbed you in the back, really let you down. I'm betting that most of us can bring up a name, a face, a situation. Now, think of the, think of the last person you would want to see you hurt and vulnerable. The last person you would want to learn had helped you when you were at your most needy. 
And that's where Jesus wants us to go with this parable. Uh, another story, a story I've told once before. My flight was delayed and then delayed again. I went up to the counter to ask a question. A, a woman was in front of me and she was talking to this very harried, stressed airline employee. Um, and she was talking to her in a way that was, was so rude. It was so demeaning. And I heard every word because this woman was speaking in such a loud voice. Now, I usually just, you know, mind my own business, but this time I, I couldn't help myself. And, and so I said to her, uh, you are being rude. Please stop. Well, the rude woman glared at me and walked away. Well, eventually the plane left. I got on the plane and, and I headed to my assigned seat. And of course, she's in the same row as me, right next to me, the rude woman, right next to me. So I nod my head, smile insincerely, put on my headphones. It's a two hour flight. I can ignore anyone for two hours. I've got this. And then about halfway through the, the flight, I, I'm not feeling well. I feel hot and clammy and then I feel hotter and clammier. And, and then I, I, I put my, my head on the tray and, and I'm feeling around for those, those bags that, you know, they provide in planes. And, and, and then I hear, I hear this very calm voice say to me, it's gonna be all right. It was a voice of the rude woman, literally the last person on that plane that I wanted to help me. Well, she gently rubbed my back and then she said, breathe, breathe deeply and slowly. She consulted with the flight attendant and the flight attendant brought a cool cloth and, and the rude woman placed it on my forehead and, and, and I, I slowly started to feel a little bit better. And then, and then I felt a lot better. And then the plane landed and I turned to the woman and I said, thank you. Thank you. Now that's a good Samaritan story. This story doesn't make me look good and I'm not the one who comes to the aid of anyone. I'm not the one who comes to the aid of my enemy. I'm the one who is vulnerable and at risk and forced to accept help from the very last person I want help from. This kind of thing happens on the road. Now, I want us to think a little more broadly about all of this for a few minutes and, and think of the road that we're traveling on as a nation and see if we can come up with a modern day equivalent of the Samaritans. Put another way, these days, who is our enemy? Now, there was a time when we could answer that question quickly and easily. During World War II, our enemies were the Germans and the Japanese. But that kind of clarity is more elusive these days. Take the Russians. During World War II, they were our allies. Then during the Cold War, enemies. 
post-Cold War, they were our allies again. And now, hmm, wow, all bets are off. Who is the one we struggle to identify as good? Now, it can, it can just depend on our context. Um, the good Hutu, if you are Tutsi. The good settler, if you are a Palestinian living in the occupied territories. Here are a few more that I thought of. The, the good sexual predator, the good serial killer, the good terrorist, the good white supremacist. Yeah, that one got to me. I can't stop imagining myself half dead in a ditch. And I look up to see a member of the Aryan nation covered in offensive tattoos, wearing a t-shirt with a swastika on it. And, and, and that person, that person, tends to my wounds and carries me to a safe place, picking up a bill for my care. The good white supremacist. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I resent the suggestion that there are actual human beings behind that hateful ideology. I am uninterested in a reminder that every Aryan nation member has a mother and a father. I don't want to complicate what is really a very straightforward situation with any suggestion that these men and women are created by God. This parable, this infuriating, really irritating parable asks us to imagine that our enemy is capable of compassion and is a part of the human family. I'm not sure I have the imagination for that. I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus. I, I think this is asking too much of us. It's asking too much of me. I'm not sure I like the lessons of the road. I prefer the way I was taught this parable many years ago. Two uptight professionals filled with self-importance don't take the time to stop and help, but the kind Samaritan is filled with compassion and helps out, and we should do the same. And we should do the same. But according to Jesus, that's not the challenge of this parable. Bad things can happen on the road. The road is full of dangers. The road is full of surprises. The road may leave us vulnerable, needy. And on the road, sometimes our most cherished assumptions about other people, mm, those assumptions are challenged, even upended. Is it any wonder that God does some of God's best work on the road? The road trip continues. Amen.